everyone and welcome to Chill Pill. My name is Emma Ives and I am the creator slash host of this fabulous podcast. I created this podcast since I love all things medicine. I love reading about it. I love talking about it. And my roommates were getting kind of sick and tired of hearing about it. I'm not a medical professional, so I'll never give any advice on the medical stuff. Please seek out your primary care physician for advice. I will link all my sources in the description as well as mention them throughout the podcast. Welcome, foolish mortals, to Chill Pill. Happy Halloween. I hope midterm season doesn't have you buried alive. I remember as a freshman how scary midterms were. In fact, midterms are still pretty frightening. Have any of you ever taken an anatomy midterm? The most terrifying thing you'll ever do. Everyone in that exam looks like a corpse. Okay, I'll stop with the really bad Halloween puns. As I mentioned last podcast, it is Health Literacy Month. This month is all about promoting the importance of understandable health information and access to health information. So make sure you head over to my Instagram at chillpill underscore with Emma Ives to read some fun science posts. But why is this month so important? In the science realm, we have our own language. We discuss our fields of interest assuming others have the same background knowledge as we do. However, outside the science field, that level of background knowledge changes from person to person. It puts up a barrier between us scientists and the general public. This makes it more difficult for patients to take an active part in their health journey. In the U.S., a majority of adults have intermediate health literacy according to the National Assessment of Adult Literacy. 36% had basic or below basic health literacy. A person's health literacy was tied to their ethnicity, English-speaking skills, education level, age, and economic status. A lower percentage of adults with basic or below basic health literacy got their information from written sources, while a majority received them from radio or television. Only 12% of adults, according to this survey, were proficient in health literacy. This is concerning, especially during a pandemic, which has affected everyone, but especially people of color and those of lower economic status. This is not just an issue in health, but in other areas of science as well. Here on Chill Pill, I try to make science accessible, which is why this month is very important to me. In addition to getting others excited about science, I hope to close the gap between the general public and scientists. In addition, I hope to inspire patients to build a relationship with their healthcare provider, whether it be a physician, dietitian, therapist, or your pharmacist. In the spirit of Health Literacy Month and science communication, let's talk about clinical trials. Due to COVID-19, the scientific process has been thrust into the spotlight and sped up. Everyone is looking to science to find a solution to this pandemic. As someone who works with the scientific process on a regular basis, watching science in real time is amazing. But for some, the constant changing updates and recommendations can be really confusing. While this scientist said one thing, but then they came out and retracted it, they obviously don't know what they're talking about. Well... This is the scientific method in action, gathering new information with each trial and test. The scientific method is the basis of all inquiry. In the most basic of terms, it starts with a question about an observable process. For example, we're going to do a theoretical experiment. The birds in my yard do not eat from my bird feeder. I want to do an experiment to see why they don't eat from my bird feeder. After doing background research on what others who've had similar questions have done, we're going to construct a hypothesis. My background research has told me sometimes birds will not eat from a bird feeder because it's too close to people. 
So based on that background research, our theoretical experiment hypothesis is going to be the further the bird feeder is from my house, the more likely birds are to eat from it. We are then going to design and run the experiment. There is going to be a control group and several test groups. Our fake experiment test groups are going to be the different bird feeders at different distances from my house. They're all going to have the same bird food and they're all going to be filled about the same time. Our control group is going to be my original bird feeder where it is in my yard. If the procedure works, you're going to have to run this experiment several times to make sure the results weren't a mistake. If it doesn't work, you'll have to troubleshoot and start all over again. After gathering and analyzing the data, you decide if it does or doesn't align with the hypothesis and share these findings with other scientists. In our fake experiment, the birds did not eat from any of the feeders no matter where they were placed in the yard. Our conclusions were that the birds just don't like my yard. No matter your results, your data might be used to build upon your question in another experiment, though I don't foresee any scientists using the data from my theoretical experiment. However, it's not as simple as it seems. Multiple trials are needed to run to find statistical significance, and sometimes the experimental procedure just doesn't work. Science is all about trial and error. Even after you run the experiment and publish the results, other members of the scientific community will run their own experiments to corroborate your results. Now, let's apply the scientific method to drug and vaccine discovery and development. It's a much larger scale, and just drug discovery and development can take anywhere from three to five years. This process identifies 5,000 to 10,000 potential compounds that need to be narrowed down to one vaccine or drug. These drugs can be discovered using new insights into a disease, unanticipated effects of current medications, or new technologies. The last part of this process is the preclinical trials. Before the drugs are tested in people, scientists need to determine the best dosage, toxicity, how to administer the drug, how it's metabolized, how it interacts with other drugs, and any other information. Here, the 5,000 to 10,000 potential compounds is significantly reduced to about 250 compounds. The drug then moves into clinical trials, which come in three phases, and lasts six to seven years. The first phase uses 20 to 100 people and tests for the safety and dosage of the drug. These volunteers can be healthy or have the disease that the drug is testing. The 250 compounds are whittled down to five. Phase two has several hundred people with the disease and tests for how well the drug works and potential adverse effects. Approximately 33% of drugs pass this phase, which is not a lot. Even fewer drugs pass phase three, which has thousands of volunteers. Making it to stage three does not mean the drug makes it to market. The purpose of increasing the number of people in each study is to ensure that the results are significant and not a fluke. Also, everyone is different and drugs act differently in different people. It's also worth mentioning that these studies have placebo groups and the potential drug has to work and outperform the placebo group. Because you would be surprised how well placebo responses can mess with data. But that's a later episode. As you can see, this process can take 10 to 15 years and can fail at any point, and the scientist is going to have to start over. This is extremely stressful, as the population might need the drug or vaccine at that moment. For example, recently Eli Lilly and Johnson & Johnson put a pause on their COVID-19 vaccine clinical trials. This has caused quite a stir. The COVID-19 pandemic has been going on for almost a year, going off the first case in Wuhan, China in December of 2019. Worldwide, there have been 1.1 million deaths, 
In the U.S. alone, there have been 8.1 million cases and 218,924 deaths, according to data provided to the New York Times at the time of recording. And it does not look like the virus is stopping in the U.S. anytime soon. Many people are calling for a vaccine to protect the population and get back to normal. However, there are a couple problems with calling for a vaccine right now, which I will elaborate further. A vaccine may protect the population from getting COVID, but it's not going to cure it. Also, just because we have a vaccine does not mean we will achieve enough coverage to safely protect the population. We do not have time to completely unpack that statement, so please see my podcast from July if you're interested in what that means. As of right now, we have treatment options, but no cure and few prevention measures for COVID except for practicing physical distancing, wearing a mask, and washing your hands. This is also a perfect time for the mid-podcast PSA to wash your hands, wear a mask, and not have parties of more than 10 people to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. My neighbors, I'm looking at you. These pauses on vaccine trials are not alarming. It's proof the trials are working exactly how they're supposed to. However, we are a society that loves its fast solutions to problems, whatever they are. Due to the lack of health and science literacy, we're not used to watching science in real time, which reiterates how we're wired for fast solutions. Decreasing vaccination rates have caused a resurgence of infectious diseases and is now a public health crisis. This, coupled with the reporting of a pause on vaccine trials, could have negative impacts on public views of vaccines in general. In the U.S., there is a mistrust of vaccines due to several factors, including mistrust of Big Pharma, the debunked Wakefield paper, and many more. How fast these trials are proceeding is already unnerving to the scientific community, and this has trickled down to the public as well. When the vaccine finally reaches market, according to our friend Dr. Fauci, because of the general anti-science, anti-authority, anti-vaccine feeling in the U.S., it is unlikely to achieve herd immunity even after a vaccine because people just won't get it. Once we have this vaccine, there's the possibility that it can be pulled from market at any time due to post-market drug monitoring. This possibility exists for every vaccine or drug regardless of how urgent it is needed. The FDA monitors the drug in all stages starting in development all the way to the market and beyond. This is accomplished through several reporting tools. The first is the computer database called FDA Adverse Event Reporting System. Evaluators at the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research's Office of Surveillance and Epidemiology monitor these reports in the database. They may update a product's labeling or completely pull the drug altogether. Another monitoring tool is MedWatch. It is for health professionals and the public to voluntarily report serious reactions and problems with medical products. It does not matter how long the drug has been on the market. If it is deemed unsafe by the FDA or the company's evaluators, it can be pulled. A famous example of a drug recall is Rofecoxib or Vioxx. It was on the market from 1999 until 2004 when Merck voluntarily pulled it. This medication was originally for arthritis, however, it heightened the risks of heart attack and stroke and was tied to nearly 28,000 heart attacks in the U.S. population between 1999 and 2003. As you can see, science needs to be accessible to the general public to help dispel the general anti-science, anti-vaccine feeling in the U.S. Basic understanding of science and health is incredibly important in making public health decisions, especially if the individuals making those decisions do not have a science background. Calling for a vaccine and expecting it to happen immediately is just a failing of our drug-taking culture. 
Science takes time. Just says it always has. I am not a medical professional, so please consult your primary care physician for advice if you were intrigued by anything you heard today. I do all my own research, and my sources are linked in the description, so please give all those scientists your love. The intro music was done by Cooper Wood, and the artwork was done by me. You can follow me on Twitter at CP underscore capital with Emma Ives, and Instagram at, at chillpill with Emma Ives. Thanks for listening to Chill Pill, and remember, be kind and wear a mask. <laughs>